I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. (laughs) Kia ora everybody. I'm Jordan, host of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. It's my hope that you find support and comfort in these stories and I'm really looking forward to bringing you today's episode. Just a reminder before we get started that these are personal experiences and you should always seek medical advice before making any important decisions. I'm not an advocate for any particular model of birth or birth care, and this is simply a platform to share these empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. In today's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales, I speak with Bridget, and Bridget takes us through her two pregnancy and birth stories with her daughters Annie and Charlotte. Bridget's first pregnancy was unexpected and quite early in her relationship, so she talks us through that sort of change and how they dealt with that, through to her uh, decision to try and birth in the hospital and what she wanted her birth to look like. Bridget ended up being induced, which eventually led to an emergency C-section, and she talks us through that experience, which was overall pretty positive. And then into her postpartum recovery, so how she found that journey. And we, yeah, we cover quite a few things in that postpartum period, which is awesome. And then we talk through falling pregnant with Charlotte at uh, six months postpartum. So Annie was six months old when Bridget fell pregnant with Charlotte. And she takes us through that after a hypothyroidism diagnosis and being told that she probably shouldn't get pregnant anytime soon. And then she talks about the pushback that she got from the OBs and hospital around why she should be having an elective C-section or an induction. So she talks about how she made her informed choices there and then eventually into her induction and VBAC story. So really awesome episode, two really contrasting birth stories, but I know you're going to get a lot out of it. So I will let Bridget do the talking now. Hi, Bridget. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, thanks, Jordan. It's um, really cool to be here. I'm so pleased to be a part of it. Awesome. Would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about you and who is in your family? Yeah, sure. So my name's Bridget um, and I was born and partially raised in Invercargill, um, moved to Auckland and then have called or settled and called Central Otago home. Um, I live in a rural property just outside of Alexandra with Tom, my partner, and our two little girls, Charlotte and Annie. Awesome. Very cool. And do you want to talk us through what the journey to pregnancy was like for you guys the first time around? Yeah, sure. So um, for us, it was unplanned and completely unexpected, but (laughs) um, not an entire shock, if that makes sense. I guess everyone kind of knows what could potentially happen. Um, but for us, I hadn't known Tom for very long. So, um, if I backtrack, um, I'd pretty much met him in late October, um, and then decided to move to Alexandra on a whim after having met him for him. (laughs) Um, I did that in November, like desperate a few months or a month later. Um, (laughs) and then 
in February we found out we were pregnant. So um, it's one of those things I look back on and I'm like, everyone thought I was nuts. Like, absolutely. If one of my mm. friends had told me they were doing that, I would have been like, you're crazy. Um, but I don't know, in hindsight, it's all obviously worked out really well. So yeah, unexpected and unplanned, not a shock, but has completely worked out for the best. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. And how did you find out that you were pregnant? Did you take a test or have um, a misperiod or other symptoms? What sort of prompted you to do that? Um, I was pretty much spurned on by a friend. So um, I think I might have just been like a couple of days late. I've always had really irregular periods. So it wasn't uncharacteristic for me to be a few days late. But um, yeah. my mate was like, oh, nah, take a test. You know, you could be pregnant. Super excited. And I was like, oh, you know, for a laugh, why not? I'll just entertain you. Okay, let's do it. So um, I remember I did the test and then like the faintest line appeared and I was like, what? No. And just started like hysterically laughing. <laughs> um, and Tom was like yelling, what? What are you, what? From the end of the house. And I just like, I couldn't even, I couldn't deal because I was just like, this is just unbelievable. Like, I can't believe that I'm actually pregnant. So yeah. I just yelled back, like, um, it's positive, we're pregnant. And he kind of, I guess he was kind of in shock that I was probably laughing the way that I was. And he mm. was like, what? Like, what, we're pregnant? And I'm like, yeah, look, look. So um, he was really excited once his initial, I guess, shock of my, like, crazy, hysterical laughter yeah. had worn off. Um, and we were like, yeah, this is cool. How how awesome is this? So, um. I text Jenna the picture of the positive before I actually told Tom, which is so naughty, um, because I was like, oh, you know, am I seeing things? Is this meant to be right? Like, is this a thing? And she was like, definitely positive. So um, Jenna was actually the first person to know, and then Tom found out subsequently. But, um, yeah, that was a pretty hard case, I think, because I just, I don't know, wasn't expecting yeah. it, but at the same time was. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And how were you feeling once you found out? Like, did you have many early symptoms in that pregnancy? And then what did the rest of your first trimester look like? It's so hard case. Like, I was absolutely fine up until that point. And then yeah. it was like, boom, found out I'm pregnant and then just felt seedy all day. <laughs> like, I'd been, like, heavily drinking, um, needed salt and vinegar chips just to carry me through the day. Um, yeah. just, yeah, felt like I'd been having massive nights on the bows every night for the first trimester. <laughs> um, and then it kind of like it lifted. I was, I guess I'm pretty lucky. I was one of those people that it just, it lifted and I felt really good and I just embraced it and loved being pregnant, love, you know, having a big belly and mm. I just, I felt really wholesome and, and healthy and great. So that, that continued through the rest of the pregnancy. And I guess I didn't really have any problems or um, issues or symptoms up until maybe the, the like mid to end of the third trimester. Um, and I started getting a bit of sciatic pain. Um, mm -hmm. But that was completely manageable. And um, yeah, I, you know, I just rolled with that. I was like, hey, if this is all I'm getting, it's pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, cool. And had you decided to go with a midwife for your care? Yeah, so um, in Central and Alexandra, I don't know whether or not you would have read in the media um, 
over the last few months, but there's been issues with women birthing on the side of the road and kind of not making it to hospitals because we've only got a couple of is it primary birthing units. I always get it confused. Yeah. I think they're called primary birthing units. So, um, and and these primary birthing units, obviously, because it's uh, such a, a a wide area um, in Central Otago and Southland and and Westland or the West Coast, um, these primary units service quite a lot of women. Um, and the alternative to that is driving to a hospital, which is absolutely fine. So uh, for me, I had made the decision early on in the pregnancy that I wanted to birth in a hospital. Um, and that was pretty much primarily because my dad had passed away um, in the January, so like the month before um, we found out we were pregnant and he'd passed away in Invercargill Hospital. And I, all I wanted to do was um, kind of, I guess, just have some sort of wholesomeness and mm. uh, a, like full circle sort of holistic vibe about going back to a hospital. I knew that if I just kind of left that negativity there, I don't know, I just, it's, it's really odd to explain. I could have just birthed here uh, in Alex, mm. but. I wanted something positive from the hospital. Tom and I were both born in Invercargill Hospital, um, but because Dad had died there, I, yeah, I felt like I needed some good vibes and positivity. Yeah. And, and, yeah, so um, that pretty much led the decision um, to one midwife. Uh, so yeah. And Alex is only one that will go down there. And, again, it's just incredible how things end up working out. Like it's... Uh, she may and uh, maybe may may or may not have been a midwife that I would have chosen to go with had she not um, only or, or traveled to Invercargill to birth mm. um but she just ended up being such an incredible midwife um just she's really holistic and natural and just uh we absolutely adore her I'm like she's my midwife um Jan um so we've got a real sense of belonging with her and she was just fantastic throughout the whole pregnancy um I guess for the first pregnancy it's always really interesting because you don't have a benchmark as to what something should be like so we were like, yeah. um, like, what should we be expecting from Jan? Because she's a little bit elusive, but that's just how she rolls. Um, and it, it was just, and it was a really amazing experience, and I was really lucky to have had her as my midwife. Cool. And so, did you choose to do the standard testing that's offered in New Zealand, and did you end up finding out the sex of your baby? Yeah. So we just, I don't know, first pregnancy, I didn't really know what else to do. So I just did it all. Um, yeah, yeah, we just did all the standard testing and, um, drank the gross, um, sugar juice for the (laughs) gestation diabetes test and sat there thinking, what? Like, I'm pretty sure I've got diabetes now after having that, but, um, (laughs) yeah, no, everything was really standard. And the second part of the question, what was that? My God. Um, Did you find out the sex? No, we didn't. Look, I yeah. am all for whoever wants to do what. Um, yeah. And I think irrespective, it would be really, it's an amazing experience to find out what you're having either way. Um, but we just really wanted to hold on to that surprise. Um, and I guess in life now, the life that we live in, you can find out literally everything about mm. everyone and whatever. We were like, look, this is one thing that no one knows and yeah. let's roll with that. Yeah, Awesome. Cool. And did you do any like antenatal classes or any type of birth education before or in preparation for your birth? 
Yeah, so I'd looked at doing um, like a Plunkett antenatal because that was pretty much the only one that they offered down here. Um, but I don't know, we had to either travel to Cromwell or Queenstown two nights a week um, or do like, I don't know, one Saturday for eight weeks. Um, and I was just like, oh, no, nah, that's not really mm. me. It's, it's making it like a little bit of a burden, um, which is kind of unfortunate because I missed out on having an antenatal group, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but we opted to do the hatched antenatal. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, I think it's Carmen that does that. So yeah. Um, we, yeah, it just worked out really well for us. Like we sat in bed and watched the videos and um, it was nice to kind of engage with one another in that respect and have mm. that information um, together and then reflect on it after and rewatch pieces that I may or not, may or may not have understood. And, yeah, it was it was just really, really awesome. It was a great resource. Yeah, awesome. Cool. And did you have off the back of that or I guess throughout your pregnancy much of a birth plan or thoughts on how you wanted your birth to go? Oh, look, I've always like I've always been a real sucker for birth stories <laughs> and just birth in general and um like one born every minute. Like absolutely yeah. obsessed with it. Like people are like, This is actually frightening bridge. You should probably stop watching these things. Um yeah. so <laughs> I just think it's amazing that it's just such ugh, it's incredible. Um, I'm lost for words. It's that amazing. Um, I didn't really have a plan, so to speak. Um, I wanted to try and have a vaginal birth. Um, I kind of knew what would happen, um, if there were to be interventions, um, based on what I'd seen primarily on One Born Every Minute. I was like, (laughs) cool. So the gist I'm getting in my mind is that if I have an induction, then that's likely to cause this and then dit, dit, dit. So I kind of knew there could be the domino effect or the cascade of intervention that they do talk about. Um, uh, so with that in mind, I was like, let's aim for A. And if B, C or D happen, that's just what's going to happen. And that's pretty much how it went. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and just before we jump into that then, did you do anything in preparation for your birth? So antenatal expressing, perennial massage, raspberry leaf tea, you know, like all of all of those types of things. Were you on board with any of them? Oh, look, you know, no, I wasn't. Like I did a little bit of curb walking and then I was like, Ugh. yeah. like I'm done here. I don't know, like I, yeah. <laughs> like I should have tried. I should have tried a little bit more, but I was just, I just kind of felt like, I'll wait and see what will happen and the baby will come and the baby will come. And that was like a mantra that Jan pretty much like drilled into me, like the baby will come when the baby wants to come. And I was like, yeah, yeah. But when is the baby going to come? Cause it's like, <laughs> we're like hitting 40 weeks now and I'm getting tired. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, no. So I just did the curb walking. Um, and that was pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Cool. And did your labor end up starting spontaneously? Do you want to take us through if it did, how far along you were and a little bit um, of what happened from there. So into your labor and birth story. Cool. Yeah. So I like I hit 38 weeks and I was like, yeah, like my baby was definitely going to come on the 20th of October. Like that's when (laughs) I was due and the baby was going to come. And then when the baby didn't come on the 20th of October, I was like, hang on a second. What's this? Um, Hadn't really prepared for much more beyond that point. So, um, we did a few stretch and sweeps um, and then when nothing happened there after, you know, 38, 39 weeks, 40 weeks, 
Um, and then I started to feel like I wasn't sleeping that great. And I started thinking too much about that. And then I started thinking, oh, you know, I should get an induction and let's, you know, let's get this over and done with, which is such a bad way to think. Um, I can now on reflection think that. Um, but I just thought, oh, you know, the baby, if I get, the baby gets out, then, you know, we can all kind of move on and I'll be out of this limbo stage. So at around 40 weeks, I started to talk to Jan about an induction. And she was like, look, you know, the baby will come and the baby will come. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's no, I didn't know it was a she at the time, you know, it's not coming and I want it to come. And she said, well, look, you know, it's completely up to you what you want to do. Um, we can check you every day and we can do scans and da da da. You're fit, you're healthy, this baby's really happy, it will come. And I guess like everyone has uh, a limit to their comfort um, and all limitations to their comfort levels. Um, and I had got to a point nearing 41, um, I was actually 41 and 5, where I was like, hang on a sec, like I'm just not feeling super comfortable about this. I, I'd read up probably a little bit too much about placentas breaking down and then babies being stillborn. And mm. I guess in my mind, I was like, I've hit my limit now for comfort with it. I feel like being told like 38 weeks, this is, you know, yeah, this is your due date. This is when your baby should be coming. Now I'm 41 and five. I'm not happy. Like I, I think that mm. we really need to move on this and we're up there at the upper limit of my comfort. So um, I was lucky uh, when I had that conversation with Jan, the following day was, you know, the induction day at Invercargill Hospital. I didn't even know that was a thing. So um, <laughs> I I went down there. So it was 41 and 4, and then I went down there 41 and 5 and um, got induced in the morning. So sorry, I didn't get induced straight away. So got in there, did the usual hospital rigmarole, the waiting around for a bed, and then um, had an obstetrician come and chat to me um, and we had a discussion about uh, doing the balloon catheter so that was inserted um, and I was you know instructed just you know walk get out of the bed and walk <laughs> and so that's pretty much what I did I just walked and I walked and I walked um, and then might have been the next day like I was literally in there all day and then the mm. following morning it had fallen out so I was like winning the baby is coming the baby is definitely <laughs> coming now um and so they checked me and I was only three centimeters so I was kind of like oh she's not it's not coming um and then throughout I guess a few maybe not throughout the day but a few hours had passed and nothing more had kind of happened um I was at a bit of a stalemate I guess um, then the conversation was started about Cinto and I was like, oh, okay, cool. So, you know, uh, the, the whole cascade of interventions started kind of building in my mind. I was like, okay, now this is completely being taken out of my hands. And I was so ill prepared for an induction. I hadn't, I hadn't looked into, I guess I hadn't looked into it at all. So I went in blind, which may have been a good thing. Um, but I feel as though it was just cranked right up. It probably mm. wasn't, but I was just like, this is the most intense experience and feeling I've ever had in my life. Um, I had this like, um, it was really funny. I had this like birthing track and this is how like loopy I guess I am. I wanted like kind of like a mixture of like upbeat, like rap music and pop music, thinking that that would distract me and, 
I was sucking on the gas at one point and I just felt like I was Alice in Wonderland at some sort of like crazy gig, (laughs) falling down a rabbit hole. And I was like, get the music off, get it off. I just, I felt like I was completely out of it. And then once the music went, I was like, the gas has got to go. This is no good for me. I need it gone. So the gas went and I was just like, Hey, I'm going to try and do this without anything. Um, then it got to a point where some of the nurses came in and all the midwives and they were like, oh, you know, heart rate, not kind of happy here with how the baby's looking. And I was like, oh, hang on a second. Like what? Like this is this cascade. It's actually happening. So when an obstetrician came in um, and looked at the fetal monitor um, and pretty much said, we need to do an emergency C-section. I was not at all shocked. I was like, okay, cool. Thinking in my mind, right, we're going to be whipped mm. off to, you know, an operating room straight away. And then it was so hard case. Like baby's heart rate was like in D-cell or whatever they say. And so I was like, cool. And then they were like, here's a form. We just need you to sign all these things. And I'm like, what? Like, is this an emergency yeah. or are we good? Like, so I signed my form and then went into the – um operating theater um and it was all really nice like the surgeon was like any music anything you want to listen to and I was like no no just whatever you want like you're in control here I'm happy just to cruise and you do your job and listen to what you want and I'll just just be the patient and be here um and like yeah it was really interesting that experience so I obviously hadn't had an EP at that point so um I needed to have a spinal block which was fine um and they were all really the the communication was amazing with me so everything was spoken through they told me everything that was happening we had a student midwife in the room at the time I forgot to mention Jan wasn't there at this point so they had given her notice um that I wasn't progressing and Mm -hmm. so she was like cool I'll make my way down um but by it's a two and a half hour drive. So by the time um, they had, you know, told me that I was being wheeled into an operating room. So um, fortunately, we had the student midwife um, who was taking photos and it was all really, really cool. So um, we've got, look, I'm skipping all over the place. So Annie was born. Little girl, yay. (laughs) So they lifted her up and they were like, it's a girl. And I was like, this is amazing. How cool is this? Regardless of what I had, um, I guess, expected Mm. or planned or hadn't planned for. um, I was just like, this is really cool. My little baby's here and it's a girl and she's okay. And we're all healthy and happy. And we had cool photos and Tom held her. um, And then we got wheeled into recovery. And... um, then Jan turned up and it was one of the most like it was such an interesting experience because in hindsight like I look back and I'm like man I should have done skin to skin I should have done all the stuff and Jan actually when I was in recovery was like right we'll put the baby on chest so she initiated that skin to skin and um you know got I guess got me doing what I thought everyone else would have been doing um but yeah, it was interesting because it was kind of like I hadn't thought about any of that kind of stuff at the time. It was just like the baby's been born. She's been, you know, put on the wee checking thing. She had like mm. a 9 and a 10 for her APGAR scores and she was fine, wrapped up in a little bundle and Tom was holding her and I was just there and 
you know, and I was watching everything and everything was fine, but we didn't have that, you know, skin to skin and the, the first yeah. feed straight away and all of that jazz. Mm-hmm. wasn't until I was in recovery and Jan came along and was like, cool, now we'll do the skin to skin and let's get this stuff going and let's get her feeding and latching on and that that happened. So that whole experience was, I don't know, it was really interesting and it kind of was, it just happened. Like I guess mm-hmm. it just happened before my eyes and I just rolled with it and then like I just had a baby and the baby was, yeah, there and wrapped up and, I didn't think about the skin to skin and any of that sort of post-birth stuff yeah. that I wanted. Um, yeah. yeah. It's funny you say that actually, because like I felt really prepared if I was to have a C-section and I felt like I'd heard a lot of these stories of, you know, the things that you can do, even if you have a C-section. And then once I had Jai, I didn't think to be like, put like, I want him on my skin straight away. I want to try and feed him there like I was very similar to you I was just happy that he was there and healthy and safe and Joe was holding him and he was wrapped up and then it wasn't until recovery where um I had skin to skin with him then so we had a really similar journey yeah it's interesting and then you know like I see these um I see these amazing stories now where people have these I don't know they can like hold their pull their babies out themselves and the baby and I'm like what like that's incredible Mm. that's amazing but I guess like that's I mean hindsight's like 2020 and I can look back and be like man like next time this is what I'd do and I totally would like I'd be way more demanding and I was Mm. um but at the time I think with your first baby you're just like look I just don't want to make waves and Mm. like the baby's here and this is just this is how it goes and this is what it is and everyone's happy and yeah and then on reflection you're like oh hang on that could have been done a little bit differently and if that hadn't have happened and that wouldn't have happened and then that could have happened so but you know who cares it's all good at the end of the day she she was healthy and happy and um was not coming um they did say that to me they were like that baby was definitely not keen on coming she was tucked (laughs) all the way up she was really high uh there was no way that you were going to be having that baby anytime soon and I was like, it's, I mean, it's so fascinating. I'm like, how do you know that? Like, that's yeah. incredible. Um, but we just, you know, when we got wheeled out of recovery and we were in our wee room, like, oh, it was the most incredible feeling. Like, I just felt like I had just been hit with the biggest amount of endorphins. Like, <laughs> I just felt like I was on cloud 100. And mm. I had this little bubble of Tom and a little baby and like we just nothing was going to burst it and we just felt so good and life was amazing so you know I couldn't move and I had a catheter and you know it was it wasn't the most um like painless experience but I had this amazing baby and my partner was there and I was like this is just heaven um (laughs) I felt incredible and it was such an amazing feeling it was just so special yeah. Um yeah, loved it. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. And how long did you spend in the hospital then after your C section? I think I was there for as so she was born around what time was she born? Nine o'clock at night. So we had that night, the next day, another night, and then we left the next morning. So oh, um yeah, yeah and and the cargo hospital were great. Like I just, it was that the, the one of the best things about that hospital is dads can stay. Like they wheel out a little bed and they're like, "You stay here." And 
um, like in Dunedin, dads often can't stay or there's a shared room and there's mm. chairs that they can sleep on. And I was just like, no, if I cannot do that, like why wouldn't we go to Invercargill mm. where, you know, you have a welcome mat rolled out to them, let's go there. Um, so, yeah, it, the whole experience at Invercargill Hospital was amazing. I couldn't have, I couldn't talk any highly of it. Um, yeah. So then, but, you know, it's like a hospital at the same time. You're like, okay, can we leave yet? Like, is yeah. it time to go? <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, you know, on a plane, everyone stands up and the doors are open but you can't move. That's what a hospital's like. We were yeah. like, yeah, okay, well, we've been discharged, so what are we waiting for? And they're like, oh, you know, we've got, you know, we've got to do the rounds and the forms need to be signed. And I'm like, oh, let's just go. So <laughs> yeah. it wasn't until I think like 1 o'clock in the afternoon that we ended up, you know, being given the, you know, the exit. So um, we left there um, and then before we made our journey back home with our wee baby, and um, we decided to visit my grandparents so that they could, you know, have the, the newborn feels. <laughs> um, so we just had a wee lunch with them and they met our little baby Annie. Um, and then we drove up to our, um, I guess what's the equivalent of birth care in Auckland, um, which is called Charlotte Jane down here. Um, so we got another two nights in Charlotte Jane um, where it's just the most incredible place midwives and you're just like at home and you know they've got all your food for you and they help you with your feeding and um just it's just a great supportive place to be yeah and how were you managing with like the pain from your surgery were you taking just like the recommended painkillers all the time or did you not find it too bad how were you feeling I was like I was fine I felt really good and like I'm probably a bad um a, a bad billboard for like uh, c-sections because I I was like this is wicked like I feel great like it's mm. you know I mean, I mean I probably approached it a little bit differently like they're all like you know you shouldn't walk too much and you shouldn't do this and I'm like Puh, every other surgery they're like get out there and move about get the mm. blood flow going so I was kind of you know I was within reason I was moving um as I could and just I literally just had paracetamol um and just I don't know I just I felt I felt really good after it I didn't have I didn't have any issues my my scar was great the bandaging everything was fine like I felt really supported in my tummy um I kept really fit throughout my pregnancy though that's something I didn't mention I was really really fit like I was going to the gym a couple of times a week right up until she was born um and I think that definitely um contributed to it hugely so um yeah yeah awesome cool and how did you find it once you got home and you've got your new little baby there and yeah just everything sort of changed and um yeah how did you find that experience in that first you know week or two once you get home so wild like once we got home we were like what do we do now (laughs) we just like put her like we put her in a capsule and we just put her on the table and we were like, Oh, like now we've got a baby and she's here <laughs> in our house and that's ours. And mm. like, what do we do now? And it was kind of like, well, we let, let's wait for, you know, the next feed or let's wait until we need to change her nappy. And then that starts kind of, I guess what you do. Um, mm. Yeah. We were just like, we have a baby. Um, <laughs> so we introduced her to the dogs. We did the rounds of the dogs and they sniffed at her and then, I guess we just kind of chilled. We um we just enjoyed being with her and with each other and um we started to get a few visitors and it was absolutely fine. I guess I'm really lucky, um, and I say this 
um, kind of, I guess, strangely, but I'm lucky that I had her in a place where I didn't have a lot of uh, family Mm -hmm. and friends. So we weren't bombarded by a whole lot of people. Like obviously Tom's friends being mostly guys, they went rushing to the door to meet the baby. Um, (laughs) And the, you know, their wives, their partners, whilst they were, they were obviously fairly respectful that they hadn't known me for that long. Yeah, sure. You know, it was, it was just really interesting family. Like I didn't have my family down here. Um, I had my auntie and uncle, actually they live next door. Um, So they popped around. Um, And I forgot to mention, actually, I, I decided I wanted a puppy, um, a boxer, because they changed the laws (laughs) on the docking of tails and I'd had one before. And I was like, I have to have one without a tail, which I know people think is super cruel, but I just, that's each their own. So I wanted one without a tail before it became illegal. So I was like, well, the baby will turn up at 38 weeks. So I'll have two weeks with the baby and then the pup will turn up and we'll be away laughing. Obviously it didn't work out like that. So the day that I bought any home was the same day that Rosie came home. So I got home to a, how old is it? Eight week old puppy. Um, and with a newborn baby, um, <laughs> which everyone was like, you're absolutely nuts. And I'm like, yeah. I know, like I moved down here after a month of knowing the guy. Like, of course I'm nuts. I've got a dog yeah. at the same time I've got a baby. Like, what have you thought any different? Um, but it was the best. Like the the pup would, you know, need to go out and Annie would cry. And I was just like, I've got this. Like, I've got you both. We're all good. Um, so, yeah, I missed that. that. That's another crucial part of my nutty story, I guess. Um <laughs> But yeah, we um we just yeah we were cool. Like we enjoyed just being together, having each other, and having frozen meals um, that people have prepared for us. You know, being a little community, uh, a yeah. smaller community to what I'm used to in Auckland. Like you know, people that Tom knew through work would turn up with a casserole dish or like a lasagna, whatever. <laughs> like it was, I was like, this is wicked. Like how cool is this? This is this yeah, would never nice. happen in Auckland. I don't even know you, yeah. and you're giving me a lasagna. Um, <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah we loved him yeah awesome very cool and how did you find breastfeeding was it your intention to try and breastfeed her and how did you find that journey yeah look I had I didn't even think really I didn't think too much about it I was like yeah yeah breast is best whatever so is fed um uh, and I was like look I'll give it a whirl I'll try it and she latched on fine and we fed really well and it was amazing I didn't get any mastitis I had absolutely no issues um and then I ended up being asked to be a bridesmaid for one of my best friend's wedding and that was in Auckland and I was like oh like you know oh that was a crucial issue sorry she fed well she latched well but I couldn't pump couldn't pump for the life of me I got a hucker pump didn't do it I had a like medella or whatever they're called like a a grunty double thing that part and I got I got like a mill um I couldn't do anything to get milk. So when I knew this wedding was coming up, I got quite panicky. I was like, the, I can need to feed Annie. She has to obviously get something. And my mum was like, oh, just give her a bottle. She'll be fine. And I, like, I, you know, I knew like, you know, being fed is best, but I, I was like, oh, no, she's like, she's exclusively breastfed. I need to keep going with it. And I just went on this like wacky sort of, like ride with being exclusively breastfed and fed and I must keep her like that 
Um, and then I probably got like, I don't know, two weeks before the wedding was like, yeah, that's not going to work because she needs something and mm. I can't find any donor milk and I need to feed her. So um, I just started introducing formula and best thing I did, honestly, it was amazing. So mm. it, 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 it relieved me of the stress of having to pump and not being able to. Yeah. Um, and it, it gave, I guess, like time and opportunity to bond with her as well. Yeah. It's such a special bonding moment. And, you know, sometimes the dads, they just sit there and they're like, I can't do anything. Like mm. I can change the baby and that's pretty much it, but she just wants you. So um, from that regard, like it was really nice to share the load and give him the opportunity mm. to have that bonding time and have, you know, it's such a special time doing that. And that's what formula really provided us with as well, as well yeah, as the freedom nice. of being able to go to a wedding. Yeah. Yeah. I found the some like a similar thing with Jai. He was mixed fed from birth well, literally from birth. Um, and I thought it was such a nice bonding thing for him and Joe, my partner. I just loved watching Joe feed him um, with a bottle. So I can definitely, definitely relate to that. Um and how did you find your mental health in terms of your recovery from birth and just like the whole experience of becoming a mom and it's such a life change? Did you notice any of the baby blues or, yeah, how were you feeling sort of mentally? I think like there was a – I felt like we had this high in the hospital and I was just like this is this bubble was incredible. Yeah. Um, and then I think we got home and maybe like a week or two later I just had like a bit of a lull and mm. everything felt like it was a little bit too much. I don't know. I just got really overwhelmed really, really quickly. Yeah. Um, and but, but that was pretty much the extent of it. Like, you know, mum – my mum was really good and Tom's family were amazing. His mum was great and his sister who had had um, twin girls earlier um, yeah. or the year before, they were kind of like, you know, this is, you know, you're fine. This is normal. Like you've got us all here. We're all here to help and just shout out. Like you've got the village and the village was really strong. I had a great village mm-hmm. um, and people just helped. Um, but no, it, it was just, I just, I guess I felt like a little bit of a lull, um, like there was the high of coming home and having the baby and then it was, and now what, what, what yeah. do I do now and how, how am I supposed to feel? And yeah, you kind of get into the, you eventually get into the rhythm of having everything together again and, you know, yeah. not relying on the frozen meals and being able to, you know, dip your toe into making something like, I don't know, whatever in the kitchen that's super easy and you're like, I've got, I've got it together. I know what I'm doing. There's a washing uh, there's a lot of washing on. I could, I've hung it out today. And you slowly, slowly get there with, mm-hmm. you know, things become easier and it becomes more of a routine. But I definitely think there's that period of it's really overwhelming. I've still got all this stuff to do um, unless I have the village here to help me and I'm telling them what I need. Because, you know, like I was like, oh, no, just sit down. Like I'll get you a tea. People mm-hmm. were like, no, no, no. You just had a baby. Like what can I do for you? And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't want you like folding my undies. Um, and then that passed like two days and I'm like, yeah, daddy undies are there. Like <laughs> they need to go yeah. there, like do this, do that. So um, I got, definitely got more confident as I realized I probably, like I definitely wasn't feeling the greatest and I needed help and I couldn't do everything. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Cool. And what about your relationship um, with your partner? This is, yeah, something that I always get asked to ask on the podcast is how did you find that shift in your relationship, obviously going from just being the two of you and, you know, you can just do things how you want to and, 
everything is relatively carefree for the most part. And then you've got this baby who just needs your attention 24 seven. And there definitely is a shift or I found that there was a shift in, in the way that your relationship is for that period of time. And yeah. How did you find that experience with your partner? Uh, It was, it was really interesting. Um, Maybe I feel because Tom and I hadn't actually known each other for that long that I I couldn't honestly say there was a huge shift. Mm-hmm. Like what our norm was before Annie, like, you know, like I'd met him, we'd only known each other for a short amount of time and then I was pregnant and we just like pregnant was our norm. So like yeah. we kind of didn't like go out and like do fun, crazy stuff. Like in the mm-hmm. early stages of a relationship, like we never really had that. Yeah. Um, especially because just after I'd met him, my dad had died and then we yeah. found out we we're pregnant. So it was kind of like, it was wild. It was such a roller coaster <laughs> yeah. for us. So when we had Annie, it was kind of like, this is our family. And mm. I don't know, we just, we had a little unit and that was our norm. Like how, yeah, it's, it's really interesting thinking about that. Cause I'm like mm. in the three years that I've known Tom, I've pretty much been pregnant the entire time. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's just like, I'm like, yeah, do you even know me? He just thinks I'm crazy. Um, pregnancy crazy um but yeah it's yeah no so no I mean our relationship changed because that was kind of all we really knew being pregnant or having had a baby yeah cool awesome and did you want to take us through when you felt comfortable to be intimate with your partner again so what was the journey like back into intimacy for you guys Oh, look, I mean, I guess that's what happens with a c-section dictated a lot of that um So, like, I mean, I, I mean, I don't think I went to Jan or my GP and said, you know, when can we go again? Um, but I, Jan probably even said, like, you're good to go. She would have definitely said that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess we just kind of warmed back into it, like, feelings, levels of comfort and how I felt yeah. and um, whether or not I was sore. Um, I honestly can't remember how long it would have been, but whatever the recommended sort of time frame would have been plus yeah. a day, I would imagine. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's really interesting, like pregnancy for me, like I've heard on one of your previous um, podcasts with someone, I can't remember who it was, but I just actually adored it. Um, and her and her partner, um, sh- she had said to you that she had a really low sex drive during pregnancy mm-hmm. and that's something that I've had a conversation with one of my friends about because she's the absolute opposite. She's got a high, crazy high sex drive. Mm. Um, but for me, I don't. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, I'm like, I just, I don't want to be touched. Like, I, it's it sounds so bizarre, but I just do not have a high sex drive. And it's really hard because, you know, you've obviously got to navigate a relationship where you're, yeah. um, uh, you're, you're, you're everyone's happy. Um, so there's obviously, you know, times where, you have to make compromises with everything. Um, and that's definitely one thing that we have to in our relationship because I just don't have that drive, but then everyone has a need that needs to be fulfilled and met. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I find that really interesting because there is often I feel um, this idea that, you know, you have a high sex drive when you're pregnant, but n- not everyone is like that. Like I'm certainly oh not God, one no I'm pregnant. It's <laughs> absolute opposite. Like just some yeah. like, you've already touched me. We're good. Do not touch me. Yeah. <laughs> you touched me once and this is what happened. Yeah, so no more touching me tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cool. Awesome. And you obviously um, found the time to be intimate again at some stage because I know that you fell pregnant um 
with your next baby not too long after your birth. So do you want to talk us through um, finding out that you were pregnant? Definitely. So, um, I mean, I don't even think, and this sounds so stupid to say this, but I'll blame someone else. No one really said, hey, you shouldn't have a baby um, this long after you have Mm. a C-section. Someone would have, I'm sure someone would have said that. Um, But, yeah, we, well, actually, I'll go back. I I had been um, at a point maybe like when Annie was five months old, been getting really achy shoulders, and I just felt, it didn't feel good. They went to the doctor and um, she was like, you know, are you pregnant? And I'm like, uh, no, definitely <laughs> not. Um, she was like, okay, well, we'll do some bloods and da-da-da-da. So anyway, my blood test came back and it came back with for hypothyroidism. So that's when um, your thyroid isn't working. Um, and that's the, the, the better of the two to have. So hyper is when, I don't know, it, it works over time. And hypo is when it doesn't work over time. So that's all to do with your inductions. I'm not a doctor. I don't know. I won't start telling people what it's about. Google that. Um, But the gist of it is, as soon as I was diagnosed, the doctor said, do not get pregnant. You need to regulate um, your thyroid with medication. You'll be taking medication every day. So until you get to a point where we've got consistent blood um, readings or thyroid readings through your blood, you shouldn't Mm -hmm. get pregnant. Literally the next day pregnant <laughs> <laughs> so I honestly it was literally the next day so I like phoned up and I'm like you know hey Penny she's my daughter I'm like you know how you said not to get pregnant she's like yeah I'm like yeah well I am she's like okay <laughs> so uh, she it was interesting she had a pretty frank discussion with me around the research around um early pregnancy and um people with hypothyroidism and the effects of an unregulated thyroid on a baby. Um, and a lot of the research wasn't actually that favorable um, in regard to, you know, uh, I say unfavorable, but the research suggested that babies that um, were in utero with a mother that had an unregulated thyroid were more likely to have a lower IQ or, you know, something yeah. like that. And I was just like, hmm, okay, is that it? She's like, well, you know, you know, you might want to think about what you want to do. And she said that in a medical way, like not in a, you should be doing this kind of a way. And I just sat back and I said to Tom, oh, you know, we might, <laughs> sounds really bad, we might have a slow baby anyway, like might not make a difference. <laughs> and um, we were kind of like, well, you know, like what, you know, like, so we'll carry on, let's keep going. It doesn't matter, who cares, like anything can happen. Um, so from that point, I just had to have um, blood tests every two months um, just to check that the thyroid levels were regulated. I had medication daily. Um, and yeah, so we, we found out we were pregnant through all of the thyroid bizzo and, um, it's, you know, not meant to being pregnant after having had a C-section only, uh, yeah, six months before. So the <laughs> recommendation, what is the recommendation? It's like, don't get pregnant until yeah. what, 12 like months? 12 to 18 months or something. Everyone will tell you something different. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So Tom looked at me six months later and I was like, yeah, we're pregnant. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the second baby pregnancy was really interesting. So um, after having had the experience that I'd had with Annie, um, 
I obviously was like, I need to research this in a different way, not just watching One Born Every Minute or as <laughs> yeah. amazing as podcasts are, just listening to podcasts. Like I actually need to actively find information out for myself yeah. and make my own informed decisions about what's going on. Um, and that's what I did. Um, so I pretty much spent the the next nine months learning um, about cascade of intervention and different choices and different options and various ways to have a baby and um, medication, you know, all sorts of stuff. So um, I, I went went through the, the same rigmarole of feeling like, you know, absolute ass through my first trimester and it was the same pregnancy with Annie. It was exactly the yeah. same. Um, and so I looked at all of my options and I had found actually a really incredible um, support group, VBAC Aotearoa. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, it was incredible. It was just filled with stories of um, positive VBACs and unsuccessful VBACs, which were still positive births for all of the beautiful women involved. Yeah. But for me, I think it just opened my eyes a little bit more to how, I guess, you go down this journey and how things can change and how... I guess if you don't have someone that's advocating for you and if you don't have, I guess, the really strong sort of value of what you want, um, mm. yeah, you can be highlighted as a difficult person, which I was. Um, <laughs> but at the end of it, you're like, I fought for what I've wanted and if it does work, yippee, and if it doesn't, I tried. And I think mm-hmm. that is the best way to go into it. So going through the journey of pregnancy with Charlotte was interesting. Um, I definitely rocked a few boats. So I was on the radar of the Invercargill Hospital or the Southern District Health Board. Um, and I had a scheduled appointment with an obstetrician quite early. Um, and that was mm-hmm. assessing the risks of the fact, you know, that I had become pregnant in their mind, uh, too, frankly, too soon. Um, and it was a high-risk pregnancy high risk of rupture, um, you know, all of the realistic information, they, they put it to me. So I had a meeting mm-hmm. with an OB um, early on and, there, you know, it was great. There was pros and cons of both a C-section and a VBAC. And I went into it thinking, oh, you know, either way, whatever. Um, whatever. Sounds so flippant. <laughs> I just, you know, what, whatever will be, will be. And then I started to get on this like ride of gaining the information. And I thought, you know, like if I want to have subsequent pregnancies, this is really where my, my stalemate is. If I have another C-section, then I'm at a greater risk of rupture. So I'm not going to have a natural birth or a VBAC after that. I'm just going to have another incision made and it's going to be another C-section. And then, I mean, they're not going to not deliver your baby if you keep mm. getting pregnant but obviously there's a high risk you're you're thinning thinning out your uterus and there's many complications for baby and mum so in addition to that I was like oh, let's count on our fingers and, and toes and he will be 15 months old when the baby is born and how can I tell a 15 month old that I can't pick her up mm. and I'm choosing to do that like if it's an emergency it's an emergency they have to do what they do but I'm like if I'm choosing to do that and I'm you know I can't pick my baby up she just can't be picked up so Mm. that was when I was kind of like right so I need to become equipped with all the information that I need for having a VBAC 
and that's yeah. where that uh, VBAC Aotearoa page was amazing, reading all those stories. So I put a bit of a plan together around um, just rolling with it, not being induced, not um, planning anything. The, in Jan's words, the baby will come when the baby mm-hmm. will come. And yeah. that was all very well and, until I started getting phone calls. So I think when did the first one come? The first one might have been when I was 20 weeks with Charlotte. And, um, and it was like, oh, you know, Lily here from Invercargill Hospital, uh, just, you know, touching base with you. And, you know, we're wanting to discuss um, uh, an elective C-section with you and, and dates that might work. And I'm like, what? Like, hang on. Yeah. What? Like, what is this? And I was like, oh, yeah, like, um, got all cagey about it and kind of um, said, oh, you know, sometime in 40 weeks, let's go with that. Um, brushed her off. And then after that conversation, I phoned Jan and I'm like, Jan, what's going on? Like, I feel like, you know, like this is where they're directing me and I don't want to go there. And she's like, oh, you don't have to go there. Just leave with me. So that was fine until I got another phone call and they were like, yeah, so we're going to have to move that date and we need to bring forward a week to 39 weeks um, because the obstetrician wasn't happy and they wanted to have it on this date. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't mm-hmm. want it then. Like, I can we, I'm like, can we do something else? Like, I don't know. Like, again, I'd equip myself and I knew I could be like, absolutely not. No, thanks. But for some reason, I felt like it was a negotiation yeah. and I started negotiating and I'm like, um, so the conversation got a little bit, um, I guess not hated, but I just felt a little bit caged mm. and, and I knew that it wasn't what I wanted. And I just kind of like maybe flipped out a little bit and was like, talk <laughs> to my midwife, I can't cope. Because it was only like five or six weeks after that initial conversation. Yeah, yeah. So then Jan took a hold of it, love her, and phoned them and um, was like, you know, like you're causing her a lot of stress. Um, the, this is the plan. This is what we're going with. Um, it would be ideal if you just left her alone and we, we just carried on our tra- trajectory and, you know, la, la, la. And, you know, she did what she needed to do. I didn't mm-hmm. get another phone call, but I did get a letter. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> I've still got it somewhere too. And it was pretty much about how um, I was ill-equipped with knowledge and didn't understand the severity mm-hmm. of my situation and how, you know, I was ill-informed and, and needed to yeah understand the, the significance of um, what the dangers were with a V-back and la, la, la. Um, and I guess at the end of the day, like, it's ass covering. I don't know if I should say that. It probably isn't mm. a nice thing to say, but it's all based. I mean, it's, it's it's all relative. Like, yes, there is a higher risk. Therefore, we're trying to reduce that risk by having an elective and freeing up a hospital bed so you're not an emergency C-section because that operating theatre needs to be left for someone who is an emergency. So if we can control it, we will. So mm. I completely understood that that was what was happening in the background. So in order to kind of regain control of the situation, we agreed instead of an elective C-section happening, we would be having um, an induction. And with the induction, because I'd done my research and I'd read, you know, all of the Facebook pages, I was like, I don't, um, I, I can dictate what sort of induction I want. And I want a soft induction. I want to do the balloon catheter again and and have my waters broken. And then let's just wait and see. Um so that was scheduled for 40 and 5. 
they agreed to let me go 40 and 5, which was awesome. Um, mm. And I was obviously praying in the background that, you know, I'd do my curb walking again and, you know, that, that would kick off labor, which it didn't. Um, there were a couple of nights where I was like, I'm definitely in labor. This is definitely it. Mm. Um, and then nothing would happen. And I'm like, I'm actually going nuts. Like nothing happened. There was absolutely nothing going on. Um but then I think the day before we went down to Invercargill, like the Braxton Hicks were stronger and um, I was like, yeah, yeah, it's all going. Like This is all happening. It's positive. So by the time we got down there, um, they didn't even do the balloon catheter. I, I was dilated. I can't remember how much, but they just broke my waters. So the deal with that, though, was because there's a deal with everything. Um I had two hours from that point. I was like, two hours? Like, who comes up with this? Mm. So I had two hours from the point of my waters being broken to progress. And if I didn't progress, then there would be another conversation. And so I was like, okay. Part of my negotiation was I didn't want one of those IV lines in. I was like, cool, I'm good with that. I can do the two hours, but I don't want an IV line in. And it was so hard case. The OB was like, no, you get the IV. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> it was like, stink. like I was trying to like advocate for myself because Jan wasn't there at that point either because I was being induced. So um, I ended up texting her and being like, what do I do? I've got two hours. She was like, walk. And if that doesn't work, get Tom on your nipples. <laughs> and so we walked and we walked and then we sat back down in the room and I was like, it's time, Tom. And so, like, you know, I took my top off and he stood there so awkwardly. We started laughing. Like, it, was just, it was just the most awkward situation where he was just kind of like, you know, like in that movie, um, Meet the Fockers, is it? And he's like milking the cat. Like, it was pretty much like that. Tom was like making weird eye contact. And then we just, I was like, okay, you can stop. So I took over myself um, and started doing it. And it was the most, the most incredible feeling. Literally, after about 30 seconds of nipple stimulation, um, I was like, oh my God, it started. My labor has started. <laughs> and five minutes later, the OB came in and I was like, you can leave. The labor has started. We are all good. <laughs> and he was like, okay, that's cool. So um, he left and I text Jan and I was like, look, we're having contractions. This is, you know, it's all go. We're happening. So she was like, cool, I'm on my way. Um, so from that point, um, I had relatively consistent contractions um and it was the coolest feeling I was you know I was in labor I haven't been in labor before you know properly I say in inverted commas because it was through a drip and that was like it was was not the most ideal situation for me um so I was like this is amazing I am in labor and if 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 anything, I've had this sensation and my body has given it to me. So I felt really good about that. Um, and then we got moved into the delivery suite and I just felt really awful. Um, I had a plan. I was like, yeah, I'll just do the gas again. And, and you know, I don't want any pain relief, just gas and we'll be good. And I had more soothing music on. I'd learned from the previous time, no rap. I was like, I just need calmness and serenity in, in my room. Um and I didn't feel like I was at a rave and having a bad trip this time, but the gas certainly didn't do it. I was just thinking, like, I, I had a, a, a go on the gas, and I was just like, oh, no, nah. like, I just, it's making me feel, feel way too spaced out, and yeah. I just, I just didn't do it for me. So 
I was like, oh, we need the um, bath. Let's get the bath going. Um, I'll try and, 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 and go down the avenue. So at this point, um, the bath hadn't been turned on and I started vomiting and I felt really, really, really awful. Um, and then Jan walked in the room um, and normally Jan wears black clothes and is like a bit of a hippie. She's got the long gray hair and like lots of bangles and I looked up and I thought I was hallucinating because she was in like a floral dress and I was just like, what's happening here? Who are you? And it was like the one day of her entire life she decided to wear color because her granddaughter had told her she needed to wear color. And I was just, I, I just couldn't deal with what was happening. I'm like, who is this? Is this Jan? So mm. it was one of the most amazing experiences though, where I don't, and I don't know if you've ever felt this, where someone will enter a room and all of a sudden they have literal control of it. Mm. So she walked into the room and was like, right. It was like, it was her room. She said, Tom, this is your job. You do this, put your hand here and, this is what you need to be saying to her and rub her and put your hand here at this point. And we don't need you and you and you out. <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, this is so awkward. I can't believe she just did that. How rude. But it was the best thing. She just took control of the room. She had it completely together. Everyone was given, I guess, their role and she was sorted. Um, I was still like, why isn't the bath going? I can't hear water and I need water in the bath. While everyone's talking and being given their roles, I'm waiting for the bath because it's going to make me feel a million times better. So, you know, I was spewing and requesting the water again and again. And then all of a sudden, um, like everyone had been in the hall talking and I was like, oh my God, what's going on? So the monitor, the fetal heart monitor, the same thing started to happen. Um, and purely by chance I think this time I had an obstetrician who may have been a little bit older and may had seen a few more things before um and while a few of the midwives were saying you know this isn't good like you know we need to start thinking about what we might need to do here um Jan and the mid uh, sorry Jan the midwife and uh the obstetrician were like no 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 it's fine this is fine. It's all consistent with a contraction happening and the heart rate going down. This is fine. This is all normal. We don't need to be panicking about this. So that was all happening in the background while I was requesting the water and being really disheartened that I wasn't in the bath. So by the time I got in the bath, I wanted the hell out. I just did not <laughs> like the bath. It was the worst place that I could be. Um, I just had this idea that it would just be the most serene environment and I was like floating in the water and it was all calm and like pictures and videos and one born every minute. Like I just had this <laughs> vision of it being so peaceful and I just wanted out. I literally feel, and I felt really bad at the time, like what a waste of water. It's funny how you <laughs> think about these things, yeah. but I was like, I've just wasted like, I don't know, a hundred liters of water. How awful am I? Um, so I got out. I just got out. I just could not deal with being in there. I probably was in there for less than 30 seconds. And um, in hindsight, that was transition, but I didn't realize <laughs> that at the time. Yeah. Um, but I think before I'd got in the bar, no, it wouldn't have been before. It was after. I was like, I literally can't do this. I need an epidural. Um, so the 
anesthetist must have just got in time um, in there in time before it was too late um, because he whipped in, got the epidural in, and I felt so good. I just, like, I don't know, like it was like a sense of calm came over me. I regained control. I, I say this while I'm looking at a positive birth book about hypnobirthing, um, <laughs> and that's what I'm trying to achieve with that. Um, but I just regained control and I felt like I was together again and in control of what was going on. Like it was a really light epidural, um, but one that I just, I don't know. I just was like, this is cool. I can handle this. I can feel, I can feel the contractions, but I'm not in the hurt locker. Like this is a good place to be. Um, and so from that point, I, I don't even know how long I was in, in, from that point until I had Charlotte, but Jan, Jan came, um, she came floating back in in a floral dress and, and she said, we're going to have a baby now. And I was like, we are, this is amazing. And so she just, she was prompting me to push. Um, I guess that's one thing that the epidural um, voided me of feeling was that, that, that need to push. I did feel um, having Charlotte, but I didn't feel the need to push. Yeah. So um, I was just in the hospital bed, um, bearing down, pushing on Jen's command. Um, Tom was down at my feet watching the baby be born, which he would have had never have thought he was doing. Um, but uh, yeah, she came out, I think I pushed maybe like four or five times um, and she was born. Um, Jen said to me, oh, do you want to, you know, like Courtney Kardashian style, I was like, touch your baby and lift it out and I was like Ooh. <laughs> but much for me um I just I don't know I felt like that was my limit I couldn't do that I was like I'm happy to yeah. like have a vaginal birth but I don't need to be involved with it that much um yeah. so yeah and she was born and um she was on my chest straight away we had immediate skin to skin and um I was just like struck by this overwhelming sense of like I've done it. Like it was yeah. just I I remember actually at one point um the obstetrician came in and he was like uh, what did he say? There was some statistic. There was only like one percent or something ridiculous of women um would progress to having a V bag from the point that I was at. And I just said yeah. to him, You're looking at the one percent. Like I just remember being such a stubborn mole. I was like, I'm the one percent. Like <laughs> I'm the one percent, get out. Um and I just felt this overwhelming sense of satisfaction that I was the one percent that had had my V back with my fifteen month um gap, um, with my thyroid issue and yeah the pressure from the hospital to have an elective C-section and then, you know, the induction. And I just felt so good. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it was really interesting in saying that because I didn't have the same feeling um, that I had when I had Annie. Like, and it was really weird because, you know, she was obviously a C-section mm. and this, this little baby whose gender we didn't know, um, Charlotte, she, um, was born vaginally and I thought that I'd have that massive hit I thought I'd get that hit of you know the endorphins and just the bubble again and it never came like it, it really never came um so although I had this sense of satisfaction at having had my baby in the way that I'd wanted to um it was kind of like the when we got home point with Annie and now what like she was born and I was like and now what like what yeah. happens now um yeah. which was kind of a little bit 
not underwhelming, but I, like, it was overwhelming and underwhelming at the same time that mm. I, I felt like I was, I was like, when's that feeling coming? Like, and yeah. I was too busy thinking about that feeling, then thinking about her. And then um, when actually she was born, it's, this sounds awful. Like I, she was born and um, I, I, this sounds so awful saying this, but I was like, what's wrong with her? Like she was breathing and she was the right color and everything was fine. But her foot, it was like, she was a ballerina. It was completely mm. at a, like a, what, what is that? 90 degree angle. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, what's wrong with her foot? And um, so after, you know, we'd done the skin on skin, she had a feed. We had um, pediatricians come down and have a look at her because um, they thought that she had a club foot, which hadn't been picked up in any of her scans, um, although she'd been like a little froggy. Um, so we had, yes, we had this little baby with this wee foot that was like a wee ballerina out. Um, and I know that that sounds, uh, I, I feel really guilty for saying that, but I guess in all honesty, when I, I feel like I, I, I wanted to have my baby and I had this idea of having my baby that it never crossed my mind that my baby wouldn't be, perfect um yeah, yeah and then when she was born I just was like oh my god what is wrong with her and that's just so awful um right. and there is absolutely nothing wrong with her um she's absolutely fine and she's an amazing little girl and she has nothing wrong with her it was completely positional like her leg had been squashed for right. nine months um and then it had just stayed like that and as she's aged it's moved and her muscles yeah. have relaxed and she has no problem but um it was just a really interesting sort of roller coaster mm. of feelings of, you know, having achieved the VBAC that I wanted to and then having this baby that I thought there was something wrong with, which she was nothing yeah. wrong with. Um, but yeah. like a, a real mixed bag of emotions and, and yeah. understanding them and knowing how to feel and processing everything was, it's, yeah. it's so bizarre. Mm. Yeah, I think there'll probably be a surprising amount of people out there who really relate. Um, to that story in some way. So thank you for sharing that part of it. I think it's really important to just remember that sometimes we don't feel that euphoric, you know, feeling that you spoke of in, in your first birth um, after giving birth and that's okay too, right? Like there's no difference in the way that you feel about your girls now. Yeah. It's just, yeah, you had a different feeling yeah. after, after your birth. And I think it's the whole um, preconceived idea of what something should be like. Like yeah, yeah. nothing, uh, there's there's no like certain or right way of anything. And mm. I, I think that's if, if 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 listening to any of your podcasts is anything to go by, there is not one that is the same. Um, yeah. And I think that that just speaks volumes for how um, anyone's impression or interpretation of birth should be is that, mm. There is no textbook to it. It is not always going to be, you know, plan A will happen, plan B will happen. Yeah. Like it's sometimes it's a combination of all of those things or, I mean, sometimes they are textbook, but I think that's pretty rare. And just yeah. being aware, um, I guess, a bit more of something not being like, the you know, the Instagram birth or the, mm. you know, the yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's that's yeah, yeah, get it. all very well, but it's not necessarily always real life and that's not how it always goes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so did you need, end up needing stitches or did you have any tearing or anything like that from your birth? Absolutely nothing. Like I had Wonder Woman Jan at my side and <laughs> it's so funny. I had um, a friend who had said to me, um, 
she had had Jan as her midwife as well. And she said, whatever you do, listen to Jan. Mm. And so I literally said to Tom at one point, I was like, turn the music off. I need to listen to Jan. And so the like serene, calm music got Mm. turned off and I was just like focusing on her. Um, and she was incredible. So I had no, um, tearing. I had a little tiny graze, um, and Ural did the trick with that. Like, arm yourselves with Ural. If anyone ever says, what do I take to a hospital? I'm like, Ural and lollipops. That's all you need. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I just was focused on Jan and I had such an amazing relationship with her and I guess I was just lucky in some degrees yeah. as well. Like I, I don't know, maybe I've got good skin. I don't know how that works. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I was good. It was. I will say though, I will say though, an absolute shocker having a vaginal birth. I was just like, oh my god, I and my bits are like roadkill. What is this? <laughs> yeah, I just had no idea. Like everyone, you know, yeah, you you like freeze the pads and you you wear them. I didn't do any of that because I just I didn't know what to expect. I, you know, yeah. I I was a C section person and mm. my bits were all good. Um, and then I just was like, this is incredible. Like what's going on? Um, and just this shock. Um, and then I guess this like amazement at how incredible your body is to birth a baby and then heal and just Mm. kind of like, I mean, be normal-ish again. Like I Mm. just was like, this is incredible. Look at the journey my body's been on. Um, So, yeah, I I definitely wasn't prepared for the roadkill, though, and it's probably a really (laughs) bad thing to say. Um, But um, get out there and do your VBAC, girls. Um, But, yeah, be aware. Yeah, yeah, cool. And how did you find things going home this time around, obviously? You've got um, Annie at home as well, so it's not like the first time where there's just one baby. So how did you find um, going to being a mum of two? And, yeah, what was that journey like? So we, um, one thing that I did do after we got discharged from hospital um, was, and I will mention this other part, I had a catheter in and I didn't expect what happened with my bladder control. So I remember we stopped in Gore because I needed to go to the bathroom and I was wearing these grey track pants, really bad move, shouldn't have done that. Um, <laughs> and I went to walk to go to the ba- a public bathroom on the main road um, and I just didn't make it. Like I just fully didn't make it. Mm. And I thought, what the hell? And I looked down at my pants and it was like th- someone had like thrown like a, like, I don't know, a litre of water on my pants And so I was like, okay. So I just like cruised back to the car and Tom was like, you okay? And I'm like, I don't even know what happened. Like I didn't feel that happening. Um, And that happened for like, I don't know, maybe two days um, after I'd had Charlotte um, just from having had that catheter in and Mm. I don't know, and and having had a vaginal birth, but I, you know, I hadn't experienced that with Annie. So I just, I thought that something wasn't right. Um, but other than that, everything was fine and it came right, but it was a bit of a shock. Um, mm. And I won't wear grey pants again, that's for sure. But, <laughs> yeah, no, we um, we had two days again at Charlotte Jane, um, just with Charlotte, um, because we could have come home straight away. And I know a lot of people do that, but I thought, you know, this is the one and only time in Charlotte's life where she will just probably have the two of us um, mm. for her every beck and call. So I was really aware of that. And, you know, I knew Annie would be fine. She was with her granny and um, her nanny Sharon and everything was, you know, fine. Um, and it was just so special to be able to bond with Charlotte, just the um, 
the three of us. I will say, and I'm, I'm all over the place with this, I also forgot when we were in the hospital, Charlotte just would not stop crying, um, just wouldn't wouldn't stop. And I was trying to get her on my boob, feeding her as much as I could. And I was literally up from the moment that she was born. I did not sleep. She was crying and, sorry, and crying and crying um, to the point where one of the midwives was like, you know, I can take her away. And she took her away um, and to try and give me some rest. And then she ended up bringing her back like half an hour later. And she's just like, look, no, she's still hungry. She needs food, you know, um, can you feed her again? I was just spent at that point. I was just like, I actually, I can't, like I have nothing here. Like mm. I just have colostrum and I, I, can't, I don't know what to do. Um, and so she said to me, oh, do you want us to feed her? And I was like, you know what? Like I actually do. Like, can you just feed my baby? Um, mm. I was so tired. Tom actually had a tummy bug in the hospital as well. So he was oh, completely no. out after having been sick most of the day. Um, worst place that someone could be sick and yeah. in a maternity ward so bad we should not have had him in there um but we did um so yeah so they ended up giving her some formula in hospital and then we went to charlotte jane um i continued with it um she was just so hungry and she was so much bigger than annie so she was like annie was like two 3.2 kgs and charlotte was nearly four um, and she was just a really bushy little babe that needed food. The midwives described mm. her as a bonnie babe. And I was like, what does bonnie <laughs> mean? Like, what is that? Googled it. And I'm like, is that a compliment? Um, yeah, but she just really needed food. So um, she had formula, formula until my milk came in. Um, and then it came in really well and really strong. And then we didn't need it anymore. And she was a really happy little babe. So, um, yeah, I just thought I'd mention that because it was a little bit of a – not a different journey comparatively mm. to Annie, but it was different. Um, and insofar as having a really hungry baby, whereas Annie was yeah. probably a bit more lucid from having been a C-section baby and just was like rolling with whatever. Yeah. Um, so no, when we got home, like it was the most delightful thing to see. Um, cause Annie was only 15 months old. So the whole concept of being pregnant to her was just, she obviously had no idea what was going on. Mm. You can't really explain much to a 15-month-old. Um, and when we brought Charlotte home in the capsule and, and we just put her down and we said, you know, this is your baby. And she was just repeating baby and she like would look at the baby and then run away and then come back and look <laughs> at her. And I just like I had no doubt in my mind at any point that, it, you know, we weren't doing the right thing by having another baby. Um, but it just I just was like, this is so special. Um, having my girls so close together in age, like you know, they're going to fight like mad, but hopefully they're going to be the best of friends as well. <laughs> and yeah, just grow up together. Um, it's, yeah, it was just so special. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. And how was your recovery this time around in comparison to your C-section? Like what was the differences, I guess? And um, do you have any advice for someone who might be going to have a VBAC soon? Yeah, look, I mean, there there are definite pros and cons either way. I was really lucky. I could pick up Annie. I could pick up Charlotte. Um, Physically, um, everything was was working great I did Mm. have bladder control issues though that was uh, but I feel could be pretty standard with any sort of vaginal birth um 
but one that I kind of didn't expect. Like I thought I had a strong pelvic floor, but um, I, I didn't. In hindsight, I didn't. People, mm. you know, like, you know, do the pelvic floor exercises and I'd do like two pumps and I'm like, yeah, I'm done. Like <laughs> so bad. Um, but yeah, I, I think like, and I say this and I should be doing the pelvic floor exercises now and I'm still not. <laughs> um, so that was the difficulty I think with having the vaginal birth is that I had underestimated exactly what was required from my pelvic floor because I hadn't, I don't know, I just hadn't engaged or needed it at all with a C-section. So um, that was the only area that required work from me and that was doing the clenching and the, you know, holding on, um, stopping my pee midstream and doing all of that kind of stuff. Um, But beyond that, I was was just so elated with having had a successful V-back and I felt really good. Um, as I said, I could pick up Annie, um, physically, um, I got back into exercise, you know, not too soon, but, um, at the right time. And, um, we were actually really lucky. I I say lucky. Um, and I know not everyone felt like this, but I think Charlotte was about six weeks old when we went into lockdown and it was the best thing. I was just like, I'm at home with my partner and my babies and we can all just be together and it was really cool, like, you know, so we did a bit of exercise, all of us, and it was just really, really special. So, um, mm. yeah, I, I thought I'd add that in because I know not lockdown wasn't amazing for everyone, but I think having had a baby and listening to a lot of your podcasts, I think so much can be said about that time where you just are mm. in your own bubble with your family and you don't have the visitors and you're not out there doing everything, like, we just loved it. Like we didn't have to take her anywhere. We just stayed at home and she, she, yeah, she was amazing at home. I was under no pressure to go and see anyone or do anything or take any anywhere. Like we just, we just chilled at home. And my mum yeah. was like, well, that's what we did when we were, you know, your age <laughs> with our babies. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You also yeah. didn't have flat whites back then, but, um, <laughs> you know, like it, it's, it's, I guess it's completely different, but in retrospect it was um so lovely not to feel that pressure to have to go anywhere and do anything and yeah we thrived off that yeah yeah awesome cool and is there anything else that we haven't covered Bridget that you want to um add about either of your stories or you know any part of your journey that you feel like we've missed no I don't know like I just think um I think the most important thing is to feel empowered within yourself and to Mm. um equip yourself with the knowledge that you feel comfortable with um you know like I've got a lot of friends that have had um a c-section and then have gone on to have another subsequent c-section and you know their babies were born healthy and mums were fine and healthy and everyone at the end of the day is healthy um yeah so I don't you know like it doesn't matter how you birth your baby um as long as I think you are informed with how you do it. You accept that there are different ways that a birth can go. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, like your body's amazing and you can only do what you can do and you can only fight for what you can fight for. And, um, you know, your baby will come when it wants to come or it will come when someone says it's coming. Like it is, you know, (laughs) it is what it is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bridget, for coming on the podcast and sharing your two very different but very beautiful birth stories with us. I really appreciate you taking the time and I think there'll be lots of people who get lots out of your episode. So thank you. 
Oh, no, thank you. I hope they do. I really appreciate being able to share my story. So thank you, Jordan, for creating uh, such an incredible platform for people to be able to share their stories. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales. I hope you have enjoyed it. I would love to see where you're listening, so make sure that you take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your stories and tag me at Kiwi Birth Tales. Really looking forward to bringing you another awesome episode next week, so keep an eye out. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.